I mean this uh, from the bottom of my heart. It was a poor choice of words. Uh, the man is a war hero, and he deserves all the respect in the world. And if any good came of this, maybe it was that for one day, the left and the right finally came together to agree on something. That I'm a dick. <laughs> wow. That, that was really beautifully handled. Dan Crenshaw, veteran, injured in Iraq. Or I'm sorry, Afghanistan. Um, Congressman-elect. Um, and I think it was mending fences on Saturday Night Live. And I think they both meant exactly the parts they played. I think yes. Pete Davidson legitimately thinks I shouldn't have said that, as I've done that myself many times in my life, trying sure. to be funny. Mm-hmm. And Crenshaw legitimately feels the way he felt. No, you shouldn't have said that, but I'm not going to kill you for it. Right, right. It was a mistake. Everybody makes them. Yeah, it was. It was really. Uh, a, <laughs> it was disturbing. How notable that moment was. Since it's just normal, or used to be normal. People acting like normal human beings have always acted outside of an honor culture, for instance, in the 1700s, where you had to avenge every insult with a duel, or the grievance culture of today, in which you are constantly looking for reasons to be aggrieved and appealing to the authorities to hurt the person who has aggrieved you. It's funny, we got this from uh, Joseph. Sent along a, uh, well, it's a meme thing. It's a series of pictures. It's uh, trials and tribulations through the ages. 1300s, I'm dying of black plague. 1800s, I'm working 16-hour days, six days a week. 1900s, I'm off to fight a war. 2000s, I'm offended. Those are the great trials people are enduring. And it also strikes me that um, as people are showing incredible heroism, bravery, and kindness, in the wake of yet another round of wildfires in uh, California, you also have people who are shouting that they are aggrieved because somebody says, long time no see, which we found out recently has been added to the apparently endless list of expressions that are culturally insensitive, specifically Colorado State, one of their many, many deans of diversity and inclusion who need desperately to justify their salary because there is no justification for their salary has uh, come up with this because it is apparently the translation of a, a Chinese phrase. And I'm a little lost after that, why it's offensive. Well, what's interesting is that you've got people whose job and they get paid by students and taxpayers to convince you that you're offended. Right. You you weren't offended. You hadn't even thought about it. And their job is to do enough research to convince you. No, 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 no. You should be unhappy right now. But I'm not. But I'm okay. I'm fine. No. You're making a mistake. Here's why you should be unhappy. What a weird job no, to have. No, seriously. He's a nice dude. I'm what not a, angry at him. What a weird job to have right. where your job is to convince people they've been offended. Right. Where there is no real offense. Uh, and we're spending tens of millions of dollars on these people on college campuses, by the way. So I'll get to the punchline in the middle of the joke, which is not a way to to get to it. There is a desperate effort to appear more enlightened than thou in a lot of society these days. It's a race. It's a clawing over each other to get to the top. It's like in some fundamentalist religious communities, everybody's fervor to show that they're the most pious makes them do insane things. Well, it's, it's social currency. You get praise from your peers by appearing to be ultra-enlightened. And so, again, they've gone way beyond like kindness and understanding into Looney Tunesville to prove their enlightenment. 
witness the uh, the phrase uh, "long time no see." Uh, got this great joke or a great uh, question. Um, a guy named Jacob writes uh, an email. Jacob's jabs. And he has a number of things. Apparently, he wants to be like a columnist on the show. That's hilarious. And, and a couple Jacob's of them, jabs. <laughs> uh, a, a couple of them are, are actually quite uh, funny and, and clever. Maybe we'll get to them later. But this was my favorite one. What is the benefit of being a, quote, nation of immigrants, if not to inspire, quote, cultural appropriation? Discuss. Yeah, we got a text along those lines yesterday. Sorry, Jacob, a similar jab that uh, was, isn't that the whole point of America and our system? I mean, it wasn't that the whole thing, different cultures come together and we kind of take different stuff, the stuff we like from different cultures and all adopt, adapt it. And but, say, wow, that's great and cool the way you do that. We want to try that here. The melting pot. I've heard, yeah. I've heard that phrase yeah. used. Yeah, right. You know, my son once hit me with an example of a sacred religious ceremony in India being part of a Katy Perry music video. Now, if you want to say that's quote-unquote cultural appropriation or insensitive or something, that's an interesting case, and I think you've got a good one. On the other hand, let me prove to you that we are squarely, not at like the town limits of Looney Tuneville, of Crazy Town, but like right downtown. With the long time no see, it's insensitive because it's uh, it's mocking of a Chinese phrase, which is just that's ins- what I've thought every time I've ever said it, Got or this- anybody ever said it to me. Uh, we've had a number. Let's of- keep the Asians down. That's where we're like fist bumping over that every time we say it. Oh yeah, it's not just a really kind of clever and brief way to say. It. It's a shame how long it's been since we've seen each other. Um. Which is the way absolutely every sane human being on earth has taken it during the entirety of their lifetime. But we've received quite a few notes from Asian people who say, yeah, it's of Chinese origin. Who the hell cares? Great note from Frank in Beijing here. We already have a global show. Long time no see is a direct translation of the Chinese phrase, which properly translated renders, I haven't seen you in a long time. The Chinese version is, and he, he writes it out in Chinese, the the characters and everything. Um, and And he goes through... Quite a great description of it phonetically and just how it works, which is really interesting. I thank you. Um, soon we'll have to eliminate from our vocabulary the term gung-ho, which also has Chinese roots. The Chinese, on the other hand, have borrowed heavily from English and other languages. Um, so has every language on Earth, unless it's a little tribe in the Amazon that's yet to be contacted. For example, almost every Chinese I know, having lived here for 40 years, I know a lot of them, uses the term bye-bye to bid someone farewell. Like long time no see for us, bye-bye has become an integral part of their patois, as they say in Louisiana. I work for an American institution of higher learning that's embedded within a Chinese institution of higher learning. If I were to complain about the Chinese appropriation of bye-bye, I would be institutionalized appropriately. My son's half Chinese and I, 100% European stock, sit around and laugh at this stuff. We have fun with it. Only insecure halfwits would have a problem with it. As my pappy used to say, just treat people with respect. Bye-bye. And then Frank in Beijing throws in, P.S., welcome to my air quality. Today's AQI in Beijing, 270. Whoa! Seriously, I hope things clear up for you all in a hurry. That's very kind of you, thank, uh, Frank. Thank you. It's about 180 in Sacramento, California. Which is extraordinarily high, but that, that right. 270. Yeah. And then in striking contrast to the pathetic, snowflakey desperation to be offended of the people we've been talking about, you have Den Crenshaw, congressman-elect, uh, U.S. veteran. 
Uh, and his whole piece in the Washington Post is really good. I'd like to read the whole damn thing to you. Go ahead. It's really good, but I'll start at the beginning. It's good as any of our inanities. The Lord past, knows. The past couple of weeks have been unusual for me, to say the least. After a year of hard campaigning for Congress in Texas and gradually entering the public sphere, I was hit by a sudden blinding spotlight. But I have no complaints. It wasn't as bad as some other challenges I've faced, like a sudden blinding IED explosion. See what I did there? Saturday Night Live has created a comedic monster. <laughs> On the November 3rd show... SNL's Pete Davidson mocked my appearance. He lost his eye in a war or whatever, Davidson said, referring to the eye patch I wear. His line about my looking like a hitman in a porno movie was significantly less infuriating, albeit a little strange. I woke up on the Sunday morning after the show to hundreds of texts about what Davidson had said. A lot of America wasn't happy. People thought some lines still shouldn't be crossed. I agreed, but I also could not help but note that this was another chapter in a phenomenon that has taken complete control of the national discourse outrage culture it seems like every not so carefully worded public misstep must be punished to the fullest extent replete with soapbox lectures and demands for apologies anyone who doesn't show the expected level of outrage will be labeled a coward or an apologist for bad behavior i get the feeling that regular hard-working generally unoffended americans sigh with exhaustion daily amen well, he's right about that was I really outraged by snl really offended or did i just think the comment about losing my eye was offensive There is a difference, after all. I've been literally shot at before, and I wasn't outraged. Why start now? (laughs) That's pretty good. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) So I didn't demand an apology, and I didn't call for anyone to be fired. That doesn't mean the war or whatever line was acceptable. But I didn't have to fan the flames of outrage either. When SNL reached out with an apology and an offer to be on the show, I wasn't fully sold on the idea. It was going to be Veterans Day weekend, after all, and I had events with veterans planned. I asked if another weekend might work. No, they said precisely because it was Veterans Day, it would be the right time to send the right message. They assured me we could use the opportunity to send a message of unity, forgiveness, and appreciation for veterans, and to make fun of Pete Davidson, of course. (laughs) And that's what we did. I was happy with how it worked out, but now what? Does it suddenly mean that the left and the right will get along and live in utopian harmony? Maybe Saturday's show made a tiny step in that direction, but I'm not naive. As a country, we still have a lot of work to do. We need to agree on some basic rules for civil discourse. There are many ideas that we will never agree on. The left and the right have different ways of approaching governance based on contrasting philosophies. But many of the ultimate goals, economic prosperity, better health care, and education are the same. We just don't share the same vision of how to achieve them. How, then, do we live together in this world of differing ideas? For starters, let's agree that that the ideas are fair game. If you think my idea is awful, you should say as much. But there is a difference between attacking an idea and attacking the person behind that idea. Labeling someone as an ist who believes in an ism because of the person's policy preference is just a shortcut to playground-style name-calling, cloaked in political terminology. It's also generally a good indication that the attacker doesn't have a solid argument and needs a way to end debate before it has even begun. I want to jump in here very briefly, and uh, the idea of labeling someone as an ist who believes in an ism uh, you cannot get a college degree right now without spending many, many months being indoctrinated that that is precisely what you must do. And with the with the, the slightest evidence. Oh, right. Uh, well, uh, opposition alone, disagreement alone, is proof positive that that person is that terrible thing in American college campuses, which is a diseased point of view. Crenshaw wraps up, similarly, people too often attack not just an idea, but also the supposed intent behind an idea. 
That raises the emotional level of the debate and might seem like it strengthens the attacker's side, but it's a terrible way to make a point. Assuming the worst about your opponent's intentions intentions has the effect of demonizing their ideas, removing the need for sound counter-reasoning and fact-based argument. That's not a good environment for the exchange of ideas. When all else fails, try asking for forgiveness or granting it. On Saturday, Pete Davidson and SNL made amends. I had some fun. Everyone generally agreed that a veteran's wounds aren't fair game for comedy. Maybe now we should all try to work toward restoring civility to public debate. Boy, his his recognition and commenting on the outrage culture needs to be a, an ongoing thing in society. Amen to that. Amen. And you know, it is not at all surprising that what soon-to-be Congressman Crenshaw brings to the discussion, which is so sadly, sadly lacking, is a metric ton of perspective. He's not in a classroom being indoctrinated by wackadoo professors who've done nothing in their lives but preach wackadoo philosophies. He's lived. He's, he's, he's been injured. He's seen the world. He's seen camaraderie and pain and struggle and the rest of it. Here's the opposite. How about boycotting, claiming you're going to boycott Nordstrom's because they have Ivanka Trump's perfume and then they pull the perfume off the shelves because she's the president's daughter? Who's constantly pulling the president to the left? Hey, they got social currency. They were admired by their peers. And that's all that this is. It's like somebody spends all their money plus 30% on credit cards to dress really hip. It's ridiculous. I got more of single people self-reporting why they are still single. It's kind of interesting. Our text line's 415-295-KFTC. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Chapter to Lee's own story came to a close Monday at age 95 when the legend passed away at Cedar Sinai. The famous costume characters on Hollywood Boulevard, many modeled after Lee's characters, said they felt the loss. No, I can't believe that. The ice. I don't know. Just it's, it's really sad. My dad is dead. You know, my dad is dead. <laughs> what a loving tribute to this great man. From two of his most iconic characters. Wow. That was great. Oh, man. My dad is dead. Is that, I, okay, I'm glad you understood any of it. So we're going to take a serious look at some point, because it's such an interesting and complicated question about the uh, the Amazon beauty contest, uh, which cities would uh, receive the Twenty-five to 50,000 jobs of the new Amazon headquarters uh, 2.0. Um, and looking at some of the various perspectives, here's uh, Derek Thompson, who with, writes for The Atlantic. Yes? With the, um, with the idea that there are people as conservative, using my finger quotes because these words are mean different things to different people. Yeah, but labels are, are not terribly useful when you get into real life. But there are people as conservative as Tucker Carlson and as liberal as Shea Guevara that agree 
they're in agreement that the whole Amazon thing was a corporate welfare thing that they're sick to buy. Right. Out of right. New York. Yeah. Yeah. From Tucker Carlson to Octavia. What's her name? I'm not um, convinced, but I'm willing to entertain the idea. Given the fact that I've lived enough places where they built sports arenas and it sure didn't look like it was a good deal to me to the taxpayer. Oh, no, not so much. And uh, so you got this piece in The Atlantic. It's Derek Thompson who, uh, who well, the headline is Amazon's HQ2 spectacle isn't just shameful, it should be illegal. Then you've got, uh, you know, Tucker and, and, and Xi Guevara um, agreeing on it. Uh, various economists are ready to fight to the death over whether it's indeed a good idea for the region or not. You got the testimony of the city fathers of Seattle, most of whom are Looney Tunes, but um, saying, yeah, we are completely unprepared when Amazon moved here. We didn't understand what it would be like, and there's been a hell of a lot of pain. Well, it's hard to get honest brokers in this conversation at all, though. There, sure. are, there are people that are so anti-successful companies Right. They just they just naturally get an oogie feeling if there's a successful company making lots of money, right. which is weird. Yeah, and then you've got people who are it's good for me that this company's coming in the way that you've greased my wheels and everything like that. That mm-hmm. might be city leaders. It's good for me that the sports arena is coming to town. It might not be good for the average taxpayer, but it's right. going to be great for me. Right. Um. So it's hard to get an honest broker. There are examples all around the world of cities that have built these giant Olympic venues, that it was a terrible thing for the city. Absolutely. For the taxpayer. Right, right. It might have been good for the people at the top. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of emotionalism, too. You have a great deal of discussion about the fact that Jeff Bezos is the richest man in the world. What difference does that make if bringing the headquarters here Shouldn't will lift everybody's standard of living by 5% in the next two years. Shouldn't play a role. I guess that's an insinuation that he should be paying for it. Or, or he, he doesn't, doesn't need it. He doesn't or... need more money or something like that. You yeah, still, if, if you're running the business, you would choose the place that's going to be the most profitable for you. Right. And he feels like New York made the best deal for him. And and the city fathers of New York, assuming they're not corrupt, <laughs> um, should figure, well, all right, we've got to give a certain amount, but we'll get more, so this is helpful to our citizens, so we'll go ahead and do it. You know, there might be short-sightedness, and they're not counting the full costs of infrastructure and housing dislocation and the rest of it. And, you know, we're not going to get into that fully because it would take weeks. Um, But theoretically, they're making a decision on behalf of their constituents, and it's probably a good one, even though people will suffer. On the other hand, the argument has been made, well, what about instead of giving Amazon, the biggest company in the world, the richest guy in the world, billions, literally billions of dollars in tax incentives. You give 50,000 small businesses $50,000 to get started and employ local people and you know offer benefits and the rest of it. That's a pretty interesting argument. That is, because you definitely are picking winners. From that standpoint. Yeah. What's coming up in your news, Marshall Phillips? Well, we got the latest on the California wildfires raging on both ends of the state. The Dems revolting against Pelosi. And with Christmas fast approaching, we have this year's warning about the most dangerous toys. All right. As always, gasoline-powered shards of glass is at the top (laughs) of the list. Yeah, but it's fun. (laughs) It's a fun toy. Uh, All that's coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Another word about Michelle Obama's book, I'm going to throw up on my shoes. 
I just, and it's not Michelle Obama. I just don't care what spouses of presidents think about anything. CBS this morning is relentless promoting this thing. Like an hour-long interview. Every day I look up and they're doing another one. Yeah. I got to off my wife. I've got, got nothing Sorry, against your wife. No, you you got a book out? I'll pay attention to that. You were freaking president of the United States. Uh, let's get the news now with Marsha Phillips. All right, before we get into other matters of the day, let us go over and ask Positive Sean about his one-word review of today's stock market action. Sean? Uh, the market is fine. <laughs> fine, go. It's fine. 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 Ah, boy. <laughs> all right, getting into the meat and potatoes of it all, Cal Fire's morning update says the campfire in Northern California has grown to 135,000 acres, still 35% contained, at least 48 dead. Searching for the missing, you got got 100 National Guard joining the teams looking for remains in the burned-out town of Paradise, California. They haven't disclosed the total number still missing, but earlier in the week, that figure was more than 200. Now, the Butte County Sheriff, Corey Ahoney, said a list of the missing would be released soon. We are going to uh, publish that list um, once, we've get, once we get it completed, and when we do... We're going to ask members of the public to look at the list to determine whether or not they are on it. Meanwhile, those Santa Ana winds continue to fan Southern California wildfires, but forecasters are saying a change in the weather is coming. The fire west of L.A. that killed two people flared up again before sunrise today, but the National Weather Service says the winds are going to start dying down and critical fire danger warnings will expire by tonight. And then the air quality, even if you're not near the fire, right. is so bad for so many people. And I was uh, commenting on how I noticed that the air quality was worse at my house, according to the website, than it looked. Um, uh, it looked the worst over the weekend, but it's actually the worst now. And somebody who claims to know about this sort of thing said it's all about the tiny particles that you can't see that get in, that can be absorbed into the bloodstream through your lungs. Right. Oh They're more dangerous than the bigger particles that you actually see. So going by, boy, it looks smoky outside, and thinking that makes it worse is not the way to judge it. There appears to be rain on the way, at least for part of the state. You know, it's funny you should bring the air quality thing up. I was just thinking... And it's killing me. And I don't mean to skip over... I shouldn't say that. People have actually died. It's bothering me. Right. I I don't mean to skip over the people that died and the people who are grieving for them and the people who have been dislocated and and injured and terrified and that sort of thing. But how many millions of dollars of medical care for breathing distress... Oh, yeah. ...up and down the state of California are there? For maybe decades to come. children, people with asthma, etc. Plus, yeah, the long-term damage it can do to you to be inhaling chunks of wood... For weeks at a time. Right. Right. Particles of wood. Everywhere I went yesterday, masks were sold out. Hardware store, yep. the CVS, they said we're out of masks. My or my my mom. I, I, <laughs> I met, calling Dr. Freud. I met, calling yes, Dr. Freud. I met my wife, but I said accidentally my mom. See, that's not strange or disturbing on any level. It is a little bit. Yeah, really. <laughs> no, my wife ordered on Amazon and you know, they're they're there by this morning a whole bunch of masks, but we're we're gonna be wearing them. Mm. We have gas masks in the office. I'm going to start wearing that. Yeah, you won't look strange. (laughs) Not at all. A band of House Democrats determined to oppose House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi's speaker bid are planning to release a signed letter as soon as this week. Yes, fight, fight! 
indicating that they have gathered enough support to deny her the 218 votes needed to win the gavel on the House floor in January. Access denied! So Trump's original thought was, oh yeah, make na- <laughs> Sean's wearing his gas mask. Yeah, inequality is really bad, you guys. You should put on masks. We were given, or we bought those for the for, for Trump's convention, for right? Trump's right. convention yeah. in Cleveland, because we thought there'd be gas attacks. All, but the, all the tear gas. All the tear gas yeah. that we didn't see. <laughs> Um, but it's was... coming handy, though, like today, for example. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, what, were, what was I just talking about? There's something interesting. Yeah. What's the story you're doing, Mario? Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, ah, so Nancy right. Pelosi. Yeah. So Trump originally thought... <laughs> the gas mask. <laughs> totally wiping our consciousness. Exactly. Exactly. Is this a distraction? Exactly. Well, you're, you're, not, uh, you're not leaving looking. All right, all right go ahead. So, Jack, you keep talking. You in the mask, be quiet. Trump originally <laughs> I'm thought... i take your picture to put online. Right. And I understand why that Nancy Pelosi being speaker would be awesome for, for him for the next two years. Uh-huh. If somebody to the left of Nancy Pelosi, if the left of Nancy Pelosi contingent takes over, I think Trump's in, in even better shape. So it's a win-win for Trump. It's either Nancy or somebody to the left oh, of yeah. Nancy. Oh, I think you're Nancy's, right. Nancy's the one saying no, no impeachment, and no, no universal right. health care. We're just going to fix Obamacare. Right. The people that want to take her job are wanting universal health care and impeaching Trump. You know, it reminds me so much of being uh, grateful for Jerry Brown. Because Jerry Brown's not Kevin DeLeon, for oh, instance. Or, or Diane Feinstein. Like, oh, right. Uh, right, yeah, exactly. To be grateful for Nancy Pelosi is an odd position for me. The group World Against Toys Causing Harm is releasing its list of dangerous toys for the holiday season. Watch, as it's otherwise known, claims the list raises awareness of potentially dangerous toys for parents to avoid. A child's first blasting set. Best to stay away from items like that. Uh, Let me repeat his important warning. Extendable claws, rigid plastic. Best to stay away from items like that. Extendable claws? Who's getting hurt by that? Somebody giving out cats? They have those. (laughs) Making the list this year are a Black Panther claw, a Nerf disc blaster, a Power Ranger Super Ninja Blade, and a Cabbage Patch Kids Dance Time doll. You know, I don't want to take this segment dark, but I think in reality, and I'm sure I could come up with the statistics, anything small enough to choke on is the most dangerous toy. None of these none of these things. Right. In terms of what actually harms children. Well, the doll made the list because Watch says its headband can be removed and swallowed. So that's why the well, doll don't made do that. the list. And one last note tonight, country music's biggest night is the 52nd annual CMA Awards take place in Ugh. Nashville. Another Ugh. country music awards show. Yeah, finally. <laughs> it's been a week. <laughs> I hope Jason Aldean and Carrie Underwood are on there. Carrie um, Underwood is going to be one of the hosts for the show. <laughs> so the most dangerous toy, the Black Panther yeah. Claw, actually, is Hanson, you got one for your kid? I got one for my kid. Oh, no. So we bought them the this most dangerous parenting. toys. Oh, Somebody no. call the county. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That's a wrap. That's your news. Why Robin? is that dangerous? Because you'd claw somebody with an idiot. It's made out of adamantium. It's the sharpest metal on the planet, <laughs> I Jack. doubt it is. It, pleased to be, it appears to be made out of plastic. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. <laughs> Squawky's got claws. Adamantium, developed by adamant, 80s icon. Few people know that. Um, yeah, so you're going to wear that gas mask around. That's uh, that's perfectly reasonable. Safety first. I have seen a lot of people wearing the uh, the little cloth masks. Yeah. Yep. Pretty common. And now, you, you see pictures from China, for Beijing, instance. Yeah. Beijing. Everybody wears them all day, every day. Mm-hmm. It's just part of your life. China! 
wonder why we don't in bigger cities here. I mean, our air is not near as bad, but there's no downside to wearing the mask. This is a story from the left-leaning Sacramento Bee from a while back. On blankety-blank date, Governor Brown vetoed Senate Bill 1463, which would have given local governments more say in fire prevention efforts. Through the current Public Utilities Commission, et cetera, et cetera, 75-0 on the floor of the legislature, on the assembly, 39-0 on the Senate floor of the governor vetoed it. The history of fighting reasonable fire safety measures in California is shocking. Yeah. Um, more reasons people are single from a big survey that's kind of entertaining and interesting. Look at our culture. Among things coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The nation. So they did this big survey of singles. Um, can I can I can I tease this real quick? Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, going to talk about uh, Jerry Brown's veto of a. A bill that had unanimous, literally unanimous, bipartisan support uh, for greater fire safety, fire sparked by utility lines. And he vetoed it. Astonishing. And, Brownie, you're doing a heck of a job. Do we know what the reason, respectfully. Do we know what the reason was? I'll get into that. Okay. Uh, we've gone through some of this survey, um, uh, surveying single people, and there's more single people than there used to be. Why are you single? What are your personality traits, physical traits you think are holding you back from being in a relationship? That's assuming you want to be in a relationship, because half the people who are single say they're single because they want to be, which is, you know, okay. Um, is that's it? fine. Is it? It's not, it doesn't work for society, but I, I'm, <laughs> I'm of the belief you can't convince people they should mate. You either are, you either, it is either in your loins drawing you to do that, or it's not. Check your loins. I don't think a hundred years ago. With your loins. I don't think a hundred years ago, people were getting married and having kids because they thought it was the right thing to do. You were drawn to do that by culture, your body, all kinds of different things. Sure. I also think there is a certain percentage of those fifty percent who describes themselves. Oh no, I want to be single. There's a bit of a sour grape fox in the sour grapes table thing. It's like, oh no, I'm just I'm defending the position I find myself to be in. Yeah, yeah, of course, everybody does that. Um, But uh, they ask single people things you lie about. Starting, of course, with the stat of how often do people lie. Lie number um, one, I want to be single. <laughs> uh, what percentage of men and women have lied to a date? Two out of three men have lied to a date. Not quite as much, but over half of women have lied to a date. What are the lies? I'm not sure all of these are things I would consider a lie. I am totally not an axe murderer. You know, I'll jump to number one for both of them just because it's an interesting topic. Number one lie you've told to a date for both men and women is the number of sexual partners that you've had. Wow. Uh, why'd you ask? How did it come up would be my question. Why'd you answer? <laughs> why are you dating someone who asks you that question? Right. Um, but <laughs> Why are you asking that question? It's odd. I, yeah, I'm, I'm not asking. I don't want to know the answer. 
And I would assume you would lie to me, and good. I don't want to. Th- <laughs> I don't want to think about it. Yeah, exactly. I don't. But, but anyway, so that's number one for both. So other things. Um, uh, number two, lie for women lying on a date, lying about your weight. By the way, it's 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 thirty two, thirty two since January <laughs> of this year. <laughs> lying about 27. your weight. Twenty seven. That's the <laughs> You're bragging, Bernie. That's the number two lie for women on a date, lying about your weight. You're, you're sitting right here. <laughs> you are not 98 pounds. Listen, I'm not hiring a jockey. <laughs> I'm looking at you now. Is, you're fine. How did that you're come attractive. up also? By the way, what do you weigh? Wait I mean, a minute. How did, how did that come up in a conversation? 151? I thought you were like 144. Get out! Did somebody ask, or are you putting it out there? I, I don't know. Number two, number one, one lie for men that isn't about sex, income. Again, how did it come up? Oh, I make a lot of money. Oh, buttloads of money. Lies. Lies. Here's $100, but burn it. I don't care. <laughs> Is me doing everything in my power to not cringe at a $100 dinner bill considered <laughs> lying about my income? That's just being graceful. When you notice that the glass of wine she got is $25 what? a glass. What? <laughs> you okay? No, I just... No, it's, <laughs> someone down the wrong pipe. <laughs> you know, the old wrong pipe. <laughs> there are other glasses of wine on there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, taste yeah. good, too. <laughs> the waiter just told me they're out of that wine. I've been sitting here the whole time. Hey, he told me uh, yesterday. <laughs> Sorry, sushi is how much? <laughs> it's mostly rice, right? <laughs> or this maneuver. No, I'm not going to eat. I'm just not hungry. You, you go ahead and eat. Oh, That's boy. all the money I've got. More water for me, please. <laughs> yeah, I'll have a water and just a... Uh, do you have mints? At no, the tap. No, the tap water, not the sparkling. You, you know how people usually get mad if there's a chunk of food in their water? I wouldn't. <laughs> That'd be great because I'm hungry. And this 98-pound woman here is eating all my money. No, enjoy your lobster. Market price, you say. So uh, women lie about income, number four. I don't know why this is coming up, but I I suppose at some point it comes up. God, I don't know. I've dated people for a long time without ever telling them how much money I make or vice versa. I never knew. Is it a specific lie? I make $93,500 annually. Or is it (laughs) misleading someone somehow? You would... Well, if it's, oh, yeah, I'm, if it's I'm a common well lie, financially comfortable. If it's a common lie, you brought it up to lie about it, perhaps. Or, or you were asked. Don't ask. Don't date somebody who asks you how much money you make. That seems like a bad idea. If you decide you really like each other, it's okay to find out whether they are saddled with one hundred eighty thousand dollars of IRS debt. That's a better question. Not how much money you make, how much debt you got. Because there's one that doesn't I'll lie like, about come that up. too. <laughs> That's one that doesn't come up as long as you're asking. Yeah. Um, What's uh, your net worth? Plenty. That's a good one. <laughs> Enough. Can I have another water? <laughs> uh, number. Do you charge for ice? Oh, good. Ice uh, water, please. Number three lie for both men and women. Living situation. We need to walk quietly into the basement door of my home so we don't wake up the cat upstairs. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Whose car is that in the driveway? I I don't know. Darn it. Somebody parked in my driveway again. The neighbor is an astronaut, and I have allowed him to park in my driveway while he's on the moon. (laughs) Anyway, so that's a common lie is your living situation. I'll be danged. 
Which I assume you'd only lie about if you didn't want to say you got roommates or you're living with your parents or whatever. Now, granted, I've been married forever, but uh, during my dating days, maybe I was just dumb. I never thought it would be a good idea to mislead anybody about anything. I just thought, man, that won't work. Maybe I'm a defeatist. Well, the top three on each list. I like that. There's no way I can sustain this lie. Well, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That I, sounds, well, honestly, you know what? It sounds like a lot of work you're to like, me. You're like Costanza with the beach house out yeah. at the end of the, you just keep driving. Right. Um, the top three lies are not conversations I've ever had with someone, either direction. So I just think that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Weight, income. The number of sexual partners, is just I don't see that question happening. Hobbies is right in the middle of the list for both. Okay. I help uh, handicapped children, and uh, what else do I do? Um, uh, and or how much you enjoy apple picking, Sean, right? <laughs> oh, that sounds lovely. In the fall? Yes. <laughs> I write a lot of poetry and help handicapped children. Those are my two hobbies. No, I, uh, I... Not uh, football all day on Sunday and whatever else. So the, the that thing, I get. The thing with sure. me that I'm probably not... F- fully disclosing on first dates is is uh my love for video games if i if i'm asked i wouldn't put that out there early i i certainly don't hide it but i don't right. like when they say so what do you do oh, i'm a fan of storytelling you know movies tv show books video games and like some <laughs> podcast you know i just try to slip it in there with, out the side of your mouth video games, <laughs> video games and movies and there's some really good it's peak tv right now video games and there's also like the podcasting you know <laughs> There's some other stuff on the list that's worth uh, talking about if you get the award-winning fourth hour. Oh, please. Another day, another Grammy. Me as a 98-pounder who's never had sex and, of course, live on my own. What did you spend my money on? That's my only problem. (laughs) I have so much. (laughs) You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.